Okay, good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? Good. I'm, I'm here. I'm good. I'm good. Okay, so we're going to keep talking about the parables. This morning we're going to talk about one that's turning into one of my favorites, which is kind of a surprise. It's real short. We're going to talk about the parable of the two sons. And before we do that, we'll remember that a parable is a real life story from which a few basic truths are drawn. So this is a, a real life story from which we can take a few basic uh, lessons. We don't necessarily want to apply meaning to every single detail, but we want to see what the uh, primary conclusion is. And we're going to do that. We talked about having ears to hear, and that is similar to faith, in that if you have ears to hear, what it says in Hebrews is it says we're going to believe in God. We're going to believe that Jesus is actually telling us the truth, that he knows what he's talking about, and that we're going to do so um, knowing that he, 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 he wants what's good for us. So he's telling us the truth, and he wants what's good for us. So today, uh, Jesus is having an encounter with the uh, chief priests and the elders. You could also call them the Pharisees. So chief priests and the elders, the leaders of the church. And this is in Matthew um, 21. And I'm about to read it, but before... I do that, let's talk about what has just happened. So the, the triumphal entry has happened, Palm Sunday has happened. And um, so we're getting towards the end of the story and Jesus has, is being you know, praised by all these people in the streets. And then after that, he comes in and cleanses the temple. And obviously when he cleanses the temple, that creates its own... Uh, kind of stirs things up. And then <clears throat> he comes out and curses the fig tree, which is a really strange story, where he sees the fig tree that doesn't have any fruit on it, and he curses the fig tree, and it, it withers up. And then the chief priests and the elders come and confront him. So they, before this, they've been kind of at a distance. And this is kind of the first time they've directly confronted Jesus. And they more than likely, they're focused on the, um, the cleansing of the temple. Well, as you can imagine, that created quite a problem for them. Who is this guy that's come in and cleansed the temple? So they ask him, uh, by what authority are you doing these things? And, and this is where he has the famous interaction where he says, well, by what authority did John the Baptist baptize? And they think about how to answer that question. And they end up saying, I don't know. And then he tells the parable of the two sons. So let me read. I'm going to start. I think the only thing on the screen is going to be the parable. But I'm going to start in verse 23 uh, that tells the story of this interaction about John the Baptist. Okay, this is Matthew 21, verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. 
The baptism of John, uh, from where did it come, from heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Well, why, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Then he gets to the parable. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. So, <clears throat> you might say, uh, you know, we wanted to find an encouragement and a warning in each one of these stories. You might say from this that actions speak louder than words. Talk is cheap. I saw a meme that said, if you think talk is cheap, try getting legal advice. I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, that's certainly true. Talk can be very expensive in, in, our, in the culture that we live in. But actions speak louder than words. So, but what actions are, is Jesus talking about? What is he talking about? If, if actions speak louder than words, what is it that the chief priests are not doing? What, what is it that they're missing? He, He's talking to the chief priests. They're focused on the cleansing of the temple. And I'm certainly not suggesting that Jesus was wrong to cleanse the temple. But it makes sense that they want to know what's going on. It makes sense that they would come to Jesus and say, what are you doing? Why did you do this? Because they held the high positions in the administration of the temple, and they would have been directly involved in this whole situation where they're selling sacrifices to people. They come to make their sacrifice and they go into the temple and they buy the animals that they need to sacrifice based on what they're going to sacrifice. And so that's what they're asking him about. Um, so who are the chief priests and the elders? Who are the chief priests and the elders? So uh, what Rob is saying is that the Pharisees had kind of bought their position. You're talking about the Herodians. Okay, okay. 
Sorry, I got, Rob and I were having a conversation just then and I got confused. <laughs> so the chief priests had kind of purchased their position and the Pharisees were more, uh, I mean, they were committed to this idea of a messianic king that was going to come and take political power, take over political power, free them from the Romans. And the Pharisees would have, um, at least on paper, hated the Romans some of these chief priests would have made a deal with the Romans, but they all have figured out how to coexist with the Romans and be, and be in a position of power. So they are benefiting from the position that they're in. And who did Jesus prof prophesy would actually execute him? He said in Matthew 16 and, and also Matthew 20, it's the chief priests and the elders that are going to kill him. He's already said that. Um, <clears throat> Okay, so uh, the question about John the Baptist, this is already pretty obvious, but it makes clear that Jesus' power and John the Baptist's power or their authority coming from the same place. So Jesus and John the Baptist are obviously uh, on the same page. The chief priest's fear of the people demonstrates that at least uh, John the Baptist had a lot of followers. So John the Baptist's uh, ministry had been relatively popular in some circles. And he answers the question by he, he answers their question by telling them a parable. Now there's another scene in the Bible in the Old Testament that's very similar where someone comes and tells a story, and at the end says, You're the person in the story. What is that story? David and Nathan. So Nathan comes and tells a story, and David gets angry, and then he says, But you're the person in the story. So very similar. Jesus tells this uh, parable of the two sons, and then he tells the parable of the wicked tenants which is even worse. And he says, basically, you are the wicked tenants. And that really sets the chief priests and the elders off, which is why they eventually kill him. So let's go through um, uh, the story. So the first son refuses to go to the vineyard and then changes his mind, and he goes. And the second son agrees to go, but does the second son change his mind? No. He, well, it doesn't say he changed his mind. It just says he didn't go. So it says that the first son said, I'll go, I will not go, changed his mind and went. The second son said, I'll go, and then just didn't go. So it's kind of the implication there is that maybe the second son never intended to go. So, um, and then <clears throat> he, he equates this to you didn't do what John the Baptist said. So the person that you didn't, the person you did not obey in this case is John the Baptist. So the question is, what did John the Baptist say? So we have to go backwards to see what did John the Baptist say. And uh, let me read. I won't read all these, but I'll read uh, Matthew 3. What is it that John the Baptist was saying? Matthew 3, verses 1 through 10. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who has spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. So he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Um, that's what he says in Matthew 3. And he confronts the Pharisees very similar way that Jesus confronted the Pharisees. Calls them the brood of vipers. In John 1, 19-27, you have a very similar encounter where they, the, the priests and the elders send someone out to John the Baptist and say, basically, who are you? It's very similar to this encounter with Jesus. They say, are you, uh, he says, I am not the Christ. He says, are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Then who are you? And he answers with that passage that was also in Matthew 3 from Isaiah. I'm the voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And then they say, if you're not the Christ, and you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet, then why are you baptizing? So this is a very similar encounter they're having now, basically. Who are you to be doing these things? Is what uh, the chief priests and the elders are asking John the Baptist. And then in Luke 3, John the Baptist has an encounter with the crowds, and he says the same thing, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And he, gets, he actually gets more specific. He says, uh, basically, what did John the Baptist say we should do? He says, if you have a tunic, share with one who has none. If you have food, share with the one who has none. Then he gets very specific with the tax collectors. And he says, if you're a tax collector, don't collect more than you should. And if you're a centurion, soldier, don't extort anyone by threats or accusation. Be content with your wages. So, <clears throat> this is what he's saying. Uh, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What does that actually mean? What does it mean to bear fruit in keeping with repentance? If that's what the Pharisees are missing, then what does that actually mean? Stop what you're doing. And, and you know, the, the first part of that repentance, you know, God's, uh, His desire for repentance is never ending. I don't know how many of you have had the experience that, that I certainly have had where you have a time of confession Sunday morning and you think, this may be the time where God just says, not doing that again, you know, <laughs> Uh, but no, he, it's, he, there, there's no limit to his desire for repentance. He desires repentance more than we want to repent. So what does it mean to bear fruit in keeping with repentance? Uh, love your neighbor. It's basically what he said. If you have a tunic, if you have two tunics, give, it, give one to one who has none. If you have food, give to one who has none. So take care of each other. What were the chief priests and the Pharisees obsessed with? by this time. Moral law. And they had expanded on the Old Testament law and, and created what? Do what? Yeah. They had created all these rules. Just, you know, all sorts of crazy rules about what you could do, how far you could walk, what you could cook, what you couldn't cook. I mean, they took this and just, uh, that's what they were worried about. And they weren't apparently worried about taking care of each other and taking care of the poor and taking care of those that uh, needed help.
But it's still, you still have the question, what is it the, the chief priests and elders were actually doing? And, and what is it that they were being warned not to be? And it is something called a hypocrite. So what is a hypocrite? Someone with two faces? So what does that mean? So one way to say that is that you are, you know, act differently depending on where you are. You're, you're not the same person everywhere you go. What's another way to say that? Mm -hmm. So the word, the word comes from actor. So you're, you're putting up a false front. You're pretending to be someone that you're not. And, and that is ultimately what the chief priests and the elders were doing. They were obsessed with what other people were doing wrong. And they were pretending to be something that they weren't. So I'm going to read from Matthew 23. Jesus gives the seven woes to the Pharisees. I'm not going to read all this. But just a few of the things that Jesus says the Pharisees were doing. The chief priests and the Pharisees. Matthew 23 the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They uh, love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut down the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would go to enter in. And he goes on to say, uh, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So what's the picture there of the, of the Pharisees and the chief priests? What are they getting out of their position? Recognition. So they, they have recognition. What else do they get? Wealth, they get a certain amount of wealth. What else are they getting? Status, okay, so wealth, status, position, power, self-esteem, self-righteousness. And what are they doing with all those things? Are they using those things to help other people? No, they're, they're just using those positions and that power and that wealth to just maintain the power and wealth. So um, what are the causes of hypocrisy? So where, where is that coming from? What is it that's causing that hypocrisy? 
What's the root cause? They're not real, okay? That's for sure. Pride? Absolutely. So pride. They, they're priding themselves, priding their position, priding, you know, the, the position that they have, the status and the power they have. Utilitarian, what does that mean? What can I get from it? That's right. So they are thinking about what they can get from their power and not what they can give to other people. So that's the exact opposite of what Jesus did, right? Jesus had all the power and he gave that all away to help those that can't help themselves. So um, there's also a fear of shame in the Pharisees that creates this kind of, you know, you create this kind of a barrier of rules to hide behind so that people don't find out what you're really like. That's something that we do. It's kind of, it's kind of counterintuitive that you would make more rules to hide your own faults, but they're actually doing that. They're creating rules that they can hide behind because they're creating rules that they can kind of follow and make it look like they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now this is what um, really jumped out at me as I was getting ready for this uh, Sunday school lesson. I want to go back to this question that Jesus asked. The baptism of John, where did it come from? Now, I've heard this described before that Jesus is kind of silencing the chief priests, kind of as if he's embarrassing the chief priests, what we would describe kind of a burn, you know, which is so common in our culture. And Jesus has no need to do that to anybody, right? He's not, he's not trying to burn people, right? So let's think about this. What's the question? The question is, where does the baptism of John come from? Now, if the baptism of John has come from heaven, what does that mean about Jesus? He has too, because John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, and he says, this is not about me. Everything I've been saying is about this guy. So if it's from heaven, the chief priests and the Pharisees would have to believe in Jesus. Now, this is, this is what stuck out at me. They did answer the question. They, they, it's not that they were silenced. They answered the question. We do not know. And this is my question to you. Is that true? Is their answer to the question true? Do they have an opinion about John the Baptist? Yeah. What is their opinion to John the Baptist? He's a crazy person that lives in the woods and is a lunatic, right? It's not a question of whether they know what the answer is. They're lying. They're lying. They do know. And the answer is, we don't believe in John the Baptist, and we don't think his baptism came from heaven. That's the answer. But they're lying. So Jesus actually made them lie. Which is, which is what takes me back to that second son who says, I'll go, and then doesn't go. He never intended to go. And so uh, I think the Pharisees would have been a lot better off, or the chief priests and the elders would have been a lot better off, to just say, yeah, we don't believe in John the Baptist. 
Because that would have actually been the truth. Now, I don't know if that would have gotten him anywhere with Jesus, but that would have at least been the truth. So, um, they're lying. Why are they doing that? What, why are they lying about this? Why did they say, we don't know? What are they worried about? They're worried about getting stoned on one side, right? Why, why would they worry about getting stoned? Because the people, John the Baptist was popular, right? So they're, the, they're worried about the people. Then what are they worried about on the other side? They don't want to validate him because they don't actually believe in him. So they say, we don't know, and that's not true. And where does this lead? This leads them all the way down a path to where Jesus appears before them, and they're recruiting people to make invent accusations against Jesus. That's where it goes. It starts with this kind of attitude, and the next thing you know, they have people in the, in the court just making up stuff that's totally false. So what kind of conclusion can we draw uh, from this? One is to be um, extremely aware of how we get into those situations. I mean, I do that all the time. This is what I do. The chief priests and the elders were worried about what other people think. What I do is I pretend like I don't care what other people think so that people respect me for not thinking, not caring what other people think, right? That's, that's kind of how I do it. And we all do it differently. But that led them to stop telling the truth. And, and uh, that's a really dangerous uh, path to go down. So what do we do now? Surrender. You know, how do you get anywhere? You can't get anywhere on a treadmill unless you get off the treadmill. You can run as fast as you can on a treadmill. You're not going to make progress unless you just get off of it. So get off the treadmill and just surrender. And say, you know, I submit to God's authority. Do you think, um, going back to the prodigal son that Errol uh, talked about, I want you to imagine you've got two sons in that story too. Three or four days after the feast, they've all recovered, and the father says to the prodigal son, will you go check on my vineyard? What do you think he's going to say? I'm happy to, <laughs> right? The older brother, though, if he says, go check on my vineyard, he's going to be tempted to do what? He's going to be tempted to say, why should I? Right? So then you go to the prodigal son and you say, well, now, I don't want you to think you're earning your salvation by checking on the vineyard. What, what would he say to that? Do I? He would say, you obviously don't know me. Uh, me earning my salvation is not an issue. And you see, that perspective is what, it's just very profound. That when you look at the things that, if, if you say actions speak louder than words, if you approach this like you're the prodigal son, and a couple days after you come home, the father asks you to do something, you're not thinking, how dare you ask me to do that? You're thinking, I'm so glad to do this because I shouldn't even be here, right? I should be in the pig pen. But the older brother is thinking, why should I keep doing this? Hadn't got me anything, you know? So we have to be so careful about the, the spirit of that older brother uh, coming in. We just surrender. 
uh, and a healthy self-examination is in order. So what is it that we are staking our claims in? What is it that we're protecting? What is it that we are, um, like the chief priests and elders, what is it in our lives that would allow us to just completely miss the actual point of the message of the gospel because we're trying to protect something or, or protect our status or protect our, our own power in whatever place that is? What is it that we're trying to protect? We should ask ourselves, <clears throat> do we actually care about other people that are struggling? Do we, do we help? Are we helping people? Are there people in your life that you're helping? You know, that's a dangerous prayer to pray. Say, God, please show me someone in my life that I can help. That's kind of like buckle your seatbelt, you know. Uh, but that, again, if you're the prodigal son, you're so happy to help because that's what you're, you understand what you've been given. And I think that's the parable of the two sons is what is it that the, Pharise what is it that the prostitutes and the tax collectors got that the chief priests and the elders missed? And ultimately, they have the attitude of the prodigal son. And the chief priests and the elders have this entrenched attitude of the older brother that basically they deserve what they're getting or they're just completely corrupt, as Rob said. They're just corrupt from the, from the absolute start. So my prayer would be that we would, if we had power and status in whatever realm you're in, that we would use that to lift up the most the, the people that don't have power. And that um, we would have the attitude of the prodigal son that says, I know I've been given so much, so I'm happy to give to other people. I hope that would just spill out in our church as we uh, care for each other. Any thoughts about that? Any comments? I finished early again. I learned a long time ago when you're giving a talk, when you're finished, just stop. <laughs> Right. What's, what's motivating your obedience? You know, is it this, is it this uh, New Year's resolution kind of thing where you're just trying to finally do a little bit more or are you motivated out of gratitude? You know. not just to examine yourself. 
not always as bare as without without knowing what's expected of you, you can't recognize what you consider unthinkable to no. Sometimes sometimes doing what God wants you to is unthinkable in the culture. Mm-hmm. So it so I'm not going to repeat all that, try to repeat all that, but sometimes what God is asking you to do could be unthinkable in your culture. So what are the pressures in your culture and in your community and in your family that you put on yourself or that you put on your kids that uh, generate this hypocrisy? So, you know, overbearing an overbearing parent is going to get the opposite of what they want. They may get, they, they may breed a hypocrite that actually does the opposite of what they want them to do. So, thank you for that. I hope you all heard most of that. They're using a fake tolerance to not take a position. I think that's a really good point. That what they would like to do is for John the Baptist and his followers to just go away, right? So they don't have to deal with it. Yep. Okay, well, thank you guys. I'm going to pray for us, and then we've got a few minutes before uh, worship starts. Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us uh, in the midst of our hypocrisy. I pray that you would free us from the shame and the pride and the guilt that, uh, that turns us into hypocrites and that we would uh, seek to follow you out of a, a gratitude and not out of some kind of a burden that we feel, uh, but that we'd be grateful for what you've done for us and that that would spill out in our lives and that it would um, lift up other people around us. And we just pray that our worship this morning will be pleasing to you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.